0: You're on Earth Tribe Radio, www.earthtriberadio.com. Hi, Fiona.
1: Hey, Joe. Hi. Hey, Luke. We have Luke Williamson here from www.ancientenigmas.com. No. No.
0: <laughs> Enigmas of the ancient uh, I dot world. I had it right Enigmas. before. I got it right. <laughs> Let me see. Enigmas of the ancient.world. World. Oh, cool. Okay. And when I say dot, it means that little period that goes
1: in there. Well, only you and I probably I would get so that. Internet <laughs> oh yeah, they can't help it. You know, we're, <laughs> we're, we're of an age. You're yes.
2: Now we've got that out of the
1: way. <laughs> So I was thinking um, that the enigmas of the ancient world is such a, a wonderful thing. And the fact that you are presenting questions to people, the fact that you're looking at things that nobody, many people have said, yes, we know. But in the end, nobody really, really, truly knows, right? So what I would love to do is to ask you to just share um, your view of the ancient world. I mean, maybe that's too broad, but I know you look at things in different ways because, like, a lot of uh, archaeologists um, look at the the ancient world and say, this is it, this is what happened. You hear it on all the programs on TV. And at the same time, you look at something and you say, these are the questions we have. Is that right?
2: Well, yes, it's not... You know, I think our, our history is just open to interpretation a lot more than, than we think. Um, and a lot of this has to do with our, our dating methods, our dating techniques. Uh, archaeology is a, it's actually a, quite a new science. We've only really been attempting to... Um, catalog and and carefully excavate stuff. You know, since the the late 1800s uh, where we really sort of before that it was really just looting. Um and and so uh you know, we use a lot of techniques and we were using a lot of techniques back then that aren't and are, are turning out to not be very accurate uh, carbon dating um, and other techniques. Mm. And and this is why now if you if you keep up with archaeological news, every six months or so there's another huge discovery about how they found Homo sapiens sapiens bones in Morocco or somewhere that are actually four or five hundred thousand years old and other places. And so you start to realize that, that humans have actually been in their modern form for at least five hundred thousand years, maybe as much as seven hundred thousand years, and yet our documented history is only six thousand years long. And you know, the story that we've been given is that you know, for most of that time, you know, we we hunter-gathered, and 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 then it's six thousand years ago we discovered agriculture, and then you know, civilization came out of that. And I. I just wonder if that's accurate. I wonder if now in light of um, the discovery of, uh, you know, worldwide uh, events of decimation, that that, uh, Younger Dryas event that occurred about 12,800 years ago, um, that really wiped out a lot of uh, life on Earth, it took, took a while to come back from start to wonder if really there wasn't a history before that that we don't really remember and if that is the case then is there evidence uh, for structures and civilization that uh, existed you know, before our current understanding of history and then when you start to look at our dating techniques and the fact that we don't we can't date stone very well we're only really learning to date stone so we have to date um, structures either by organic remains that were found at the site, which is n- not really accurate. It can give you an idea of when there were humans there, but it doesn't mean that that's when something was built. Or we date by what's written or carved into uh, the stones or the structures. And that is also Uh, Not a very good way of dating stuff it tells you you can have an idea of when something was carved into the stone But it doesn't mean that that's when the structure was built or who it was built by Uh, so we have We have all of those things that that I think we need to to be open to the fact that You know we don't really know for sure uh, what was going on, and the fact that there's so many problems with a lot of these ancient structures, whether they're in India or Egypt or Peru or Bolivia, where we don't understand either the method of construction or the method of stoneworking, or the logistics, or how they were able to do things without the wheel or levers or capstans or pulleys, um, or without. metal tools that were hard enough to to actually shape the stone that they used, or why all the earliest stuff is the best and the largest. There's so many of those problems that they just sort of, after a while, it's this incredible pile of problems that are just sort of ignored or pushed away or discredited, and I I think we owe it to ourselves now, especially, that that we're starting to um, develop better techniques. Uh, to really go back and look at stuff again, and I, I think we will. I think we'll get there eventually.
1: So, would you say that um, many, so many of the t- the techniques that archaeologists use now, is what you're saying, aren't actually accurate?
2: They're they're not very accurate. Huh. And I, I I'm, you know, to a certain extent, they they know that. But it's you know, it's very often it's like the uh, the best thing we have, so we'll go with that. But that's what the problem with that is that that part sort of becomes forgotten. And then what we've gone with becomes sort of an absolute truth or an absolute part of the story, and that's that's not how things are. And in Egypt, you know, I, you have to understand, I mean, I understand that it's very difficult to get an accurate picture thousands and thousands and thousands of years later, especially when you're, you know, working on sites that have been quarried for thousands of years already, and, you're, um, and, and we don't have an actual history that's come down from that culture that, that accurately refers to those times. And, and so then what you find when you're like, well, how do we know who this pyramid belongs to, or that pyramid, or this structure, you find out that things are dated in a really ridiculous fashion. They might find a pit, like I was at a pyramid last year to close closed site called Abu Rawash, uh, and they give this pyramid to Jadefri, who would have come after Khufu in the, in the line of the 4th dynasty. And this is in Egypt? This is in Egypt. Yeah. And and the way... So I'm like, well, how do they give this pyramid to Judefri? Most people haven't even heard of this pyramid. It would have been the second, actually, of the Great Pyramids. It's been almost entirely quarried away. Um, and it turns out that there was a, a pit discovered there, which they say is a boat pit, but there was no boat found in it. Instead, there are about 120 statues, which you know were apparently of Judefri, and one statue of Menkaura, um, so they, they said, okay, well, this must be Jedefri's pyramid because here are these statues, and Menkaura must have done a repair on the pyramid, and that's why his statue is here. And that's what's gone into the history books, that that's Jedefri's pyramid and that Menkaura did a repair on it. Now, that pyramid would only have been built you know for 30 or 40 years when Menkaura came along, so why he would need to be doing repairs immediately is you know a, a question as well. But this that's how their stories come to be and that's how they come to be shaped it's the same thing with the Great Pyramid and the second pyramid there's very 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 tenuous evidence it's almost always circumstantial and really tenuous and yet uh, to pardon pardon an unintentional pun it's set in stone and that's and what every you know everybody tends to believe the pyramids were tombs and uh, and you know and this is not the case uh, we don't see really any evidence of this we see evidence of repurposing but so I think it's time with a lot of these ancient cultures that we just sort of take a step back and go, okay, we had some ideas, we're not sure if they're right, maybe they're wrong, let's look again. But people are very entrenched in their views, especially in academia, and it's it's a struggle. It's a real struggle. Do you
0: know what um,
2: it interests me, too, with this carbon dating? Uh, how mm-hmm. We
0: were talking not so long ago, and I can't remember which one, but I think it's uh, uh, 14, number 14. Carbon four, 14, yeah. Carbon 14, And now that when they find... Because they've been finding new places now. And if you want to do the carbon-14 dating, the age of it, you can't do it. Anything that was found after the 1940s, and that's because of the nuclear testing, has changed everything. So you can't do the...
2: Well, carbon dating, it relies on the, uh, you know, sort of over time, the Mm -hmm. amount of carbon being entirely consistent and what they've started to discover is that's that's actually not how it works so we can't go back in a linear fashion no. and and judge correctly or accurately
1: so it's not an efficient way of dating it's history. not an
2: efficient way, they've, they've got some they've, they're developing a new way especially for stone where they can see how long uh, stone has been um, exposed to the sun hmm. So, you know, there's things like that that are helping and uh, and other methods, and and we'll get there. But, you know, we have to to always remember that archaeology is in its infancy, and marine archaeology, a lot of very important stuff is underwater. Uh, But we don't have the technology, really. You know, we're still down there with guys with scuba tanks holding, uh, you know, hoses, sucking sand up. And marine archaeology really tends to focus on ships because there's going to be a cargo and they can turn it into maybe a documentary. They can make some money off it, maybe what they find. And it's sort of easy. It's a contained site. It's a very small site. It's one boat, maybe, you know, two boats. But we know of at least 250 um, cities that are underwater just in the Mediterranean alone. There's stuff off the coast of India. There's a five-mile-long city that they think might be Dwarka. that's... Been underwater for at least nine thousand years, wow. and nobody's really looking at any of this stuff. There's, there's at least four or five, just really incredibly solid pieces of evidence to suggest that our civilization has been along, uh, you know, documented and and around a lot longer than, than we believe. This is what this is what we're just slow in getting there. This is
0: what is exciting to me because it's. It's sort of every everything now with the genomes and the DNA testing opens up a whole new world. So it allows perhaps those in academia that are so rigid about this is how it was and this is how it is, and my whole thesis depends on that. So this is what I'm going to believe in. But all of this is new information coming out, like the the one that I was studying the other day, which is the hapla D. Mm-hmm. Which shows that there were humans in North America that didn't come from anywhere else but North America. They didn't come through the Bering Straits, mm-hmm. they didn't come up through South and Central Mesoamerica. They didn't come from Europe. They were here, mm-hmm. but no so, one
1: knows where they are. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, well, all of this is being dis- the Americas is it's a problem, and it's a problem for our orthodox picture, an orthodox timeline. And if you, you know, we've really have been hamstrung here um, by this real attachment to the Clovis first theory, mm-hmm. which claims that the Clovis were the first people here and they came over uh, the Bering Land Strait at some point in, in the past. But the Clovis around 13, 14,000 years ago were definitely the first humans here. And that's what we've been teaching and, and believing for a long time. And several academics had their careers ruined when they found bone rem- remnants in caves that had human tool marks on the bones, and they were like, this is 30,000 years old. And their careers were ruined. Hmm. And then uh, there was a, serv- or, uh, a study done about uh, 15 years ago now at University uh, Savannah um, where they found human organic human remains along the Savannah River there that are 50,000 years old, easily Mm -hmm. 50,000 years old. You've got, you know, mounds, burials, cities, Cahokia, all these places uh, that show that there was a a really flourishing civilization here. And then, you know, once you get down into Central America and we start finding all these really ancient pyramids and structures, you know, we tend to, to think just that you know Teotihuacan these big pyramids the pyramid of the sun the moon etc down there were built by the Aztecs or by the Inca or somebody but the reality is if you actually go and try to find out who built this nobody knows all of the probably the Olmecs back, back do you m- think maybe yeah I mean we do we so don't back. we don't know anything about the Olmecs know. you know we don't even know what they called themselves that's our name for mm-hmm. them so there there's all this stuff that that pushes back so far. Um, you know, into antiquity, and I, I think we just need to continue to be open-minded about it.
1: And so, your tours, when you do them, whether they're Greece or Egypt, or mm-hmm. can you just explain why you do the tours? Sure,
2: I'm not. I'm not really doing a, tours, a, a right? tour guide or a tour company or anything like that. I, um, you know, I've been trying to make this documentary, and and uh, I really wanted to go to Peru and Bolivia. I had some other friends who were very interested in that too, so. Um, we set up a, a tour of Bolivia and Peru in, in 2015. And there were ten of us on that tour, and I hired a couple guides, and you know we, we took care of the... But we, I didn't make any money from it. it wasn't a, it was just, Everything was done for cost. And that's pretty much what I tried to do with this tour in November with Egypt. I realized when I was there um, last year uh, that actually all these places that are closed... Um, you can get access, you can get permission to go in if you're willing to pay sometimes rather exorbitant fees. And the only way to really uh, afford that was to take a group of, of people and we could split that. So again, this November trip is not a money-making... Uh, probably, I was I was going to get free uh, airline tickets um, for setting it up and I had to put that money back into the pot because we, we don't quite have enough people yet to pay for all the... Uh, the permissions, so we're really just the tour guys will get paid, but everybody else is, you know, we're just—it's a group thing, and I, it's just—I don't have any answers. Uh, I just want to make sure we're asking the right questions, or asking all the questions that need to be asked. And every time I go, I find more questions, and I don't quite feel like I'm done. And uh, so that's really what I'm doing. I don't know whether I will continue to do tours or not. Uh, it's such a hard time financially for people. If I had, uh, you know, if I, everybody who'd sent me an email or message saying, God, I wish I could afford to go on that tour, I mean, we'd be taking 100 people. It, it's just how it is right now. It's really difficult. It's, you, you know, you're traveling halfway around the world, so it's plane tickets and then the cost of the tour. And a lot of people can't take the time. Or spend the money right now.
1: But what they can do is keep asking questions. Yes. And one of the things I think is so fascinating about what you say is that, generally speaking, science tends to go, oh, this is definite, this is the way, Mm -hmm. this is the research, this is the only way. And then they go, oops, no, no. And I think people's... Sorry.
2: Yeah, no, we constantly do that. Eggs are good for you. Eggs aren't good for you. Milk is good for you. Milk is not good for you. No, milk is good. No, it's not. Like, if they can't make up their mind...
1: Rather on basic than having food questions, groups. how do we how do we know? <laughs> yeah.
2: You know.
0: So can I? So we've talked about you. You, uh, I, I think, you went after Bolivia and Peru. So you, uh, several trips you've done mm. in Egypt to make your documentary. Bolivia and Peru, you've filmed mm-hmm. sites, uh, but you've you've been to other places. And now, yep. now, when you went to. Indonesia. some of the people that you met on the Egypt tour mm-hmm. the time you first went, then went with you to Bolivia and Peru, yep. met you. So this is how it happens. It's like you're not running a tour, but people love what you're doing. They've got questions too. So they say, I'll meet you there. Yeah, it's, and uh, can, it's, a, it's a little really, tribe. There's, yeah, a, there's, a, there's a, a little tribe, tribe of us. And yeah. They can
1: also come on and find more questions on your website. Oh, yeah. And in your podcasts and in your documentary to come as well. So to just
0: mention the countries that you filmed in, looking at the enigmas
2: of the ancient I, world. I want to say too about the website and, and mm-hmm. things related to that. Uh, especially since I ended J with my last partner there and I've moved on to this this project. Uh, you know, my my output rate is quite slow, um, but it is it's. You know, for those people who are like, oh, I've checked and there hasn't been a video for the last two weeks or something, that's just how it is. But there will always be more. It's just not... you know, not on a daily or weekly basis
1: well because you also just so they know you take a lot of footage it takes a long time to it takes edit a it long, and come up with all the questions that you have, yes, have you it
0: takes got the, a really long time have you got uh, for me. S- separate podcasts so when you did the filming in Cambodia for example mm. people can just say oh I want to see what you found
2: or Indonesia I or have, I have three videos on Cambodia I haven't put up yet okay. Uh, the coming. videos are finished, but the, the commentary isn't, isn't finished. Right. Mm-hmm. So
1: the wonderful thing, and we're going to draw this to a close now, is that Luke is not offering any any answers. He just wants you to keep your mind open, as he's keeping his mind open, and be available to the questions. And I think you mentioned before that, that scientists or the archaeologists some of the they were ruined because of this find well if they hadn't been so set on that or if they could have said oh well here comes isn't that terrific we're finding new information they could have revived open-minded they would have been and i think that's the gift of um
2: it happens yeah it happens in in all of our you know it's it's happened in egyptology uh but it it happens uh you know in, in South American, and Mesoamerican studies, there was there's a, a great book by a guy called Michael D. Coe called, I think it's called Breaking the Maya Code. And it, it's essentially the story of how they figured out uh, that these weren't just elaborate, you know, pictures, mm-hmm. that this was actually a language. Mm-hmm. And for a very long time, they believed that it was not a language. And all of the eminent scholars in the field were adamant that it was not a language and they ruined the careers of people who tried to prove that it was and then of course 20 30 years later it comes out that it is a language
0: and not only that but it's mathematical it's high math right. in and, in in this language
2: you know and nobody remembers the guys who spent all that time shutting down the research but you know they held us back and, and this sort of stuff happens everywhere. And, and I was very naive when I started, you know, uh, looking into this stuff. Uh, I was in my twenties. Uh, I'd sort of come back to Egypt as an interesting subject, somewhere I really wanted to go back to. And I, I went into a really weird-looking bookstore, and I, I just Graham Hancock's book, Fingerprints of the Gods, had just come out, and I, it, I thought, oh, that looks interesting. It's all about Egypt, so I read that, and it blew my mind, and I thought, God, this is really going to blow open the whole field of Egyptology, because they're going to look at this and how meticulously researched this is, and it's going to change everything. And a couple of months later, uh, at UCLA, where I was going at the time, they had a a three-day series of, of lectures by Dr. Zahi Hawass, who at the time was the head of the Supreme Antiquities Council in Egypt. And I thought, God, this is gonna be interesting. His lecture is no doubt gonna include some reference to this new work and what this means for Egyptology. And I signed up and it was rather expensive. And I went and I had a notebook with probably three or four pages, A4 of questions that, you know, because I wanted to get into this and what does this mean. And I asked the first question about, you know, now that we know the pyramids aren't tombs, oh my god. The rage, the level of rage. I'm so glad I wasn't in the first five rows because they were all covered with, with spit. Oh, dear. And he turned this question into an accusation that I had accused him of stealing from the the tombs. And that's why there was nothing in there. It was this really weird thing that happened, this cha- this sort of logical chain of events in his mind to get to this accusation point and that and I was a terrible New Ager. And... and all of my questions then drew rage and after four or five questions he wouldn't take my questions anymore and then at the end I was asked not to come back and that was the point when I realized that uh there's there's a real problem you know because it's it's not I think it was was it Aristotle who said that a person should be able to consider an idea without attachment to it yes exactly and this is the whole if you're so attached to an idea that any other idea, whether correct or incorrect, fills you with rage, then You'll you're, you're the not truth. you're not in a clear you're not in a clear spot, and you're feeling threatened. And and then what I realize is that why the Egyptologists feel so threatened is because they actually can't answer any of these questions because it our current understanding is incorrect.
1: So really then they feel like they have to, because it's a science, they have to come to some conclusion to be able to share it, rather than
2: offering questions. Well, I've I've asked a lot of very specific questions to Zahi Hawass. Um, Some of, you know, how did they align their structures so accurately with, you know, uh, the cardinal directions? you know within like a 60 second of an inch or, or you know and 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 how did they how were they able to accomplish this how were they able to to cut massive blocks that they didn't have the to etc cetera, etc cetera? and his answer is national project this is a national project when you come together everybody comes together for a national project anything is possible and those he, he that was literally his answer to hmm. a, a bunch of these questions it's a national project Anything is possible.
0: Well, I, I, it's sad because I think he's done a great deal of damage to um, the opening mind, and I, I'm just thinking that anybody who uh, wants to hook into um, Luke's website, Enigmas of the Ancient World, um, join him. In the exploration and the opening of our minds, that's what's being called for in the universe anyway, and what better place to find out where
2: we We, came from? The other thing I'd like to say before we close, Mm -hmm. because this is just everything in this... I initially became interested in this because I wanted to know what they were doing and, and what they were capable of and what their goals were and who were these people that were building these incredible structures that we don't really remember. And we have to remember that the Egyptians documented everything they did, every every technique they had. But they, they don't talk about building the pyramids, and they don't talk about the Sphinx. So it, it's it's really odd that and those are not touched by hieroglyphs like everything else, you know there. So it's some very odd uh, things going on there. But um, oh, I just oh, so what what's happened is that I went from wondering what they were doing, and what all this meant to an understanding of the fact that everything that these ancient cultures were trying to do is related to the, the only question, which is what is this? You know, what are we? What is this? And, and how, how do we make our transition into whatever, back into whatever we came from and, and, and do it right and that's what these ancient cultures seem to be obsessed with that this is the temporary that the next step is the important everything we do here you know reflects and then affects how we get there and what happens once we get there and you know we've lost in a lot of ways we've lost all that we don't think about death we don't think about um, any of who we are here and what it means to be us and what this is you know and we're, what is we're, our purpose and, here? and it seems to me so often that our entire culture is dedicated to distracting you mm-hmm. from the fact that we die mm. there mm. we That's go you <laughs> well, thank you
1: so much
0: luke